All right. Well, good morning. It's 2018. This is the first uh, the first Sunday of 2018. So we're excited that uh, you're worshiping with us here at Fellowship. All right. So let me get started. I, by the way, I, my name is Ryan. I'm the associate pastor here in case I've never had a chance to get to meet you. Um, so what we want to talk about today is living in light of the gospel in the new year. But let me first start out with a story. It was one Sunday morning, a young teenage boy, about 17 years of age, missed the opportunity to go to the church. Now you have to understand he is a part of a church, uh, a part of a family that goes to church all the time. In fact, there's a lot of ministry in his family. But on this one particular Sunday morning, he missed the opportunity to go to church. So there he is at home. Uh, in his dad's library, kind of looking around, uh, probably bored. And yet he stumbles across this untitled leather book. Peeks his curiosity, goes over, he grabs it, and he randomly opens it up. And first of all, he realizes, hey, wait a minute, I've got the Bible here. But then he sees a verse that changes his life. 1 Timothy 1 117. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Here we have a young college student whose eyes were opened, he claims, through his journals in that moment. Jonathan Edwards, we have here. He stated in that moment, he understood the vastness and the majesty of the sovereign God of the universe. It both awakened and yet it alarmed his soul. He had resisted the Lord of the universe for so long and feeling so guilty, he says, for serving God so poorly And up to this point, he just had slight notions of what he calls his wickedness. But it was on this morning that he felt true, authentic contrition for his sin and placed his faith in his Savior. For Edwards, this was a life-transforming moment. One that changed his commitment to God forever. At age 17... Shortly thereafter, well, in the same year, uh, Edwards began uh, to write out what we call what he called his resolutions. Whether you know it or not, um, Edwards was a well-known 18th century theologian. He was a past scholar and he was an author of numerous books. And he was very much a part of the great awakenings that occurred in the United States. That is how God used him. But as he began to write these resolutions that we now have, he came up with 70. You think about that? 70 resolutions that drive the way you live. So let's look at a couple, actually three. Here's what he says. Being sensible that I'm unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by the grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable with his will for Christ's sake. First one. Resolve that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory. Think about that for a minute. Everything that drives you, just based on that one resolution. Second one, resolve to do whatever I think to be my duty 
and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Third, resolve to ask myself at the end of every day, not every year, every day, week, month, and year, wherein I could possibly in any respect have done better. Boy, he is an intense guy, isn't he? He is incredibly committed. Now, you may have some resolutions of your own, and it might read something like this. Resolve that I will do whatsoever that will bring God glory when I run the marathon this year, right? It's okay. That is totally okay. Maybe the second one is uh, resolve to do whatever uh, I think to be my duty and most uh, for the good and advantage of mankind in general as I serve maybe my community, my church. But for, for, for Jonathan Edwards to come up with 70 of these that drove him, it's quite incredible. Um, but let me ask you, it's 2018. It's a new year. What resolutions have you made? You know, you may be, ah, Ryan, I'm not one of those that make resolutions. And that's okay. But I think we actually do make daily resolutions. But it's a unique time. Maybe slow down and think about our life as we head into this new year. John Gill, one of our elders last week, spoke on the importance of making eternal investments. He said this, and he pointed back to the scripture that says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So think wisely about the resolutions that we make, because as we begin to pursue them, there our heart will be also. And so my encouragement as we head into this new year is that we're going to look at a passage that I think helps us best to live in light of the gospel in the, in, in the new year. Who knows? Maybe God will use this morning to help you commit or recommit your priorities this coming year. Here's the key, though. Centered on Christ. You know, Pastor Grant gave me an opportunity to speak this morning since he wasn't able to be here. We'll be back in the book of Ecclesiastes next Sunday. But I really thought to myself, um, as we go into a new year for this church, what would be most beneficial? Not just a standalone message, but a message that we really feel the weightiness. And I'll tell you, there might, there, you might feel a little bit of weightiness this morning. Uh, and I want you to experience a joy that comes with taking God serious and following him. But I just think about the importance of living in biblical community. And I think as you leave, you're going to understand that is my heart for you as one of your pastors, is that you would live authentically, truly in biblical community that God has designed for you. And if you feel like something might be missing, it could be that. So we're going to focus on this passage. Specifically, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. So if you have a Bible, feel free to get it out. Open up your phones, but we're going to look at Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. I'm going to go ahead and read these seven verses, and then we're going to take a step back, and we're going to start walking through these verses. But what I want you to know is these seven verses, and I'm absolutely convinced of it, have the power to transform your thinking. And if taken to heart, I think they have the power to transform your life, especially if you haven't already taken the steps that God would have you take. So let's take a look here. Let's go back to Hebrews Chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from every 
evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. This is an incredibly rich passage of Scripture. But before we dig into it, many times we have to understand, okay, Ryan, you, you kind of took me into the book of Hebrews. Maybe I'm not that familiar with it. We need to kind of understand who is this book written to? Well, the first question is, uh, who's the author? And the truth is, we just, we don't know. We don't know who the author is. There's a lot of speculation. Um, but we know that it's God's word. Um, and we also don't know the specific original audience. But here's what we do know. In the original manuscripts, it would say, quote, to Hebrews. Okay, so that's why the book of the Hebrews. Uh, it's to the Hebrews. Now, this is first century. This is um, when these books were be- being written. And so as Jewish men and women began to follow Jesus... They were stepping away from their ritualism, their the Judaism, away from just religious uh, Judaism, and so they began to experience extraordinary persecution. At first, they received the persecution with joy, but then it began to grow weary on them. And this book, much like a pastor preaching a message, writing a letter, would take them back to the Old Testament scriptures. And to help them understand that Jesus is the culmination of all of that. To not, not, to not slip back into your old ways. Keep the faith. Persevere. This book is to the Hebrews. Also to the Gentiles. In these New Testament churches, we have Gentiles. Gentile believers stepping away from paganism. And following Christ. Changing their life forever. But just like that they can begin to slip back into old ways. And so, if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, you may have never been persecuted to this, pers- to this po- point. But I think we can all connect with those days and times, maybe even years that we're coming out of, where faith and our hope and our love begin to wear thin. We can be overwhelmed with our circumstances, that we're tempted to start trusting more in ourselves than leaning on God, the one who provides true divine enablement. The way it happened when we first started following him and we were thriving. But now, I don't know. So as I begin this message this morning, I want to ask, how are you? How are you really? Are life's challenges, circumstances becoming too much to bear? Has this life thrown more at you than you thought possible once you started following Christ? Has our focus on God and the life that he's called us to been replaced with the demands of this busy world full of broken people? That our commitments are more about us than they are about God. That one hits close to home to me. So I wrote it. Let me read it again. Has our focus on God and the life that he's called us to been replaced by the demands of this busy life full of broken people? And somehow my commitments now are more about me than they are about God. Well, I tell you, this morning is a great time to reflect, to pause and reflect. 
and to recommit our focus on Christ as we head into this new year. Well, let's take a look at the text that we're going to be reading. Um, Again, it was 19 through 25. But the first three verses um, really give the foundation in which we can live out the exhortations that we're going to look at here in a bit. And so there's one passage in verse 25, and and don't go there yet, but, but I thought about this for biblical community. We use it often as pastors. Don't neglect to meeting together some of the habit we're doing. Well, if I stir that up in you and start saying, you can feel like that's, that's somewhat sort of um, making you feel guilty. That's not what I want to do. What I want to do is I wanted to look at the passage in context. And I wanted us to say that even our compulsion to not stop meeting together is based on Christ himself. That's why the greatest question is, how can we live in this new year according to the gospel? We have to first look at the reality of Jesus. Who is he? So let's look first at verse 19. We're going to look at these three verses and figure out, okay, what place is Jesus in our life? Are we placing him in our life? Verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. First off, we have to look at the old sacrificial system. We're talking about entering the holy places where this again, this book is to Hebrews following a sacrificial system. And so what they did is they had many priests and they would draw people and that they would pay uh, people would come in and they would give blood offerings, offerings for the sins that they had committed. And so that would be the role of the priests is they would the, the blood would be shed. There would be a, a, a forgiveness of sins according to the Mosaic law. And so this would happen uh, throughout the year. And then we'll get to the high priest in a minute. But the key is, is to see that as a backdrop in the context of the reality of who Jesus is. So we've talked about Jesus. And here we have, uh, we were talking about that even just coming up in Christmas. So now we have the Savior, the word born. And, um, and here we have a baby in a manger who, who lives his life to serve many. And fully God, fully man, and sinless. Because sometimes these just become Sunday school answers. But he lived his whole life so that he might give his life up for you and I. Because that becomes the backdrop to even, as I was going to say, even our faith. But our faith, just like it was in those first century uh, Hebrews and Gentiles. That we can enter this holy place, not by any work you or I have done or ever will do. But solely and only by the blood of God. Of Jesus, that when he walked up and gave his life, he laid it down. No one took it from him because he knew what his purpose was, but he laid his life down for you and he laid his life down for me. He is, as it says, well, as you can extrapolate out of verse 19, he is our savior. So I want to take a look at verse 10, because the payment that was paid on Calvary, we need to understand it even in light of this, in light of the sacrificial system. And by that, it says in verse 10, will, uh, we will, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus. See it right there? Once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, isn't that good news? 
Like, this might feel like a weighty sermon, but if you're a believer, this is to the brethren. This is the brothers and sisters in Christ. This is good news. Because you can draw near to God, not based on any effort you've ever done, but you can draw near to God because the blood that was shed on your behalf. That is, that is Jesus, our Savior. So let me rehearse the gospel for a minute. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. We've all missed the mark. We all need a Savior, whether we know it or not. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages, we live in a capitalist society, for the wages, and we know what it means to earn something, is what though? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. If you ever felt the weightiness of your death and the weightlessness of your Savior, that is a reason to celebrate by the blood of Christ and only by Him because He's our Savior. Romans 5.8, and I take this one to heart. While Ryan was still a sinner, Christ died for him. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Romans 10, 9, and 10. I'll never forget the day. We don't always have a day, but I'll never forget the day that I place my faith in Christ. Romans 10, 9, and 10. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So now let's go back to verse 19. And now we understand the beauty of this, brothers and sisters. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We have confidence solely because of the blood that was shed on our behalf. Jesus is our Savior. That's a reality. Reality number two. um, Let's look at verse 20. It says this. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is... Through his flesh. So let me kind of help you understand a little bit what this tabernacle is all about. You've heard of the tent of meetings, the tabernacle um, with Moses kind of going through the desert. So you got a tent and and the the first main areas they call the the holy place. Okay, and that's where a lot of your priests are. Um, And that's where there are a lot of they're ministering with these uh, ministering. But then you have this curtain, this curtain here to the holy place and the most holy place. They also call it the holy of holies. If you ever read this in scripture, it's pretty amazing. So you have this curtain. No one goes on that side of the curtain because that's where God dwells with his people. But because he is so righteous, there is a barrier. There is a separation. And so here's the curtain. And so figuratively speaking, when we see this in verse 20, that Jesus, when he died, in fact, you see this in Matthew 27, 51, when Jesus died, he gave up his last breath. Guess what happened? Not bottom up. Top down, the curtain was torn, right? This barrier between God and man has been opened up and we now can live in right relationship with God. We get away from all the rituals and we move into a relationship. That's why it's so key in verse 20 when we read this by this new and living way that he opened for us through the breaking of his body. John 14, 6 says this, if you're a believer, Hold fast to this one. John 14, 6, 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. That's why this is really, really good news. Jesus came as our Savior. He came to provide this new and this living way for us to follow. And then lastly, Jesus came to serve as our great high priest. 
And again, that sounds really good, Ryan, but I don't quite even know what you mean by that. A great priest, great. I mean, you're telling me he's my savior? That's a good thing. He's for us in New England way. That's amazing. But let's go back now to verse 21. And it says this, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to him. You see what? The high priest in the Old Testament, there's one high priest in the Old Testament at any given time. And on the day of atonement, what he did is he would go into that room I was telling you about, the Holy of Holies. He could only go into that room one day a year. And he went in that room to pay for the sins of God's people, of Israel, and his own. And so he would go into this room and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, on the Ark of the Covenant, where God dwells. Now, he only did this one day, and he'd have to do it year after year after year after year after year. This, his act was not sufficient to pay eternal sin. Okay, but guess who we have? We have a high priest named Jesus. He carved the way so that we might be able to enter the holy place of God. Now, figuratively, I mean, it, we're not talking about going back to this room. We're talking about in prayer, being able to go to God in prayer with full assurance, with great confidence that he hears us. Now that we go into the Father, the Son is sitting right there at the right hand. And so we have full assurance that we can go and pray to God of the universe, not because of what you've done or what I've done, but because solely because of the blood of Christ. This is really good news. This is the reality of Jesus. This is the gospel. And this ought to be what drives us as we think about living our life, specifically in this context, living our life in 2018. How shall then we live? How should we live our new life in Christ? Number one, we're to hold fast our confession of hope. Hold fast, fast our confession of hope. Let me read verses 22 and 23. You have them up on the screen. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean with an evil con- of an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. This verb right here where it says, let us hold fast. You see it up? That's one thing we want to hold fast, our confession of hope this year. We need to keep a tight grip on that thing. A tight grip on our Christian confession, on our truth. Because what happens in this world is when we don't keep a tight grip on it, it begins to slip away. When we don't believe in the absolute truth that ultimately saved us for eternity, it just begins to slip away, doesn't it? Well, let's take a look. In fact, it's just unswervingly. Okay, this isn't just hold. You hold on unswervingly. Don't let anyone move you. You stay stable and firm and movable. This is a big deal. For the Hebrews, this is a huge deal. They knew that what they were up against. They knew that thing that was kind of pulling them back into the Jewish customs. But no, we follow Jesus now. He is our high priest. And the whole book of Hebrews is talking about Jesus greater than Moses. Jesus greater than the angels. Jesus greater than the high priest. Gosh, we live in such a day and age where we, we get to see it now. We get to live in it now. We get to draw near to God now. It is such a gift to us. 
So let us hold fast our confession of hope. Let me give you a picture of what holding fast looks like. Keep a tight grip. Okay, if you're a football fan, I love college football. I'm sad my Aggies don't do much. But I love college football. And in my house, we turn on college football. And we'll all start cheering for a team. My son uses always cheers for the team that's winning. So his allegiance changes throughout the game. But on the left, we have Chubbs. Chubbs with Georgia. Chubbs, you have one job. You have one job. You hold fast that football. We're going to get it across the line. Chubbs, you don't let that ball go. You hold fast to it. Scarborough and Alabama, you hold fast that football when we hand it to you. And you drive hard. And you, you're ready for this. You're so disciplined. Your whole life has come to this. Their whole life is about that football. It has come down to this tomorrow night for them. They're going to hold fast. And I'll tell you, watch turnovers. Many times turnovers are going to tell you who wins the game. You hold fast your faith. Truly, that's just a football game. But when we go out into that world, we have to hold fast our confession because it so easily, so easily slips away. Secondly, we can do this with full assurance because of what Jesus has done for us. Okay, I know this is the trust fall. If you've been in the church at any time at all, we like to talk about trust, trust falls, right? But that's like an amazing trust fall. I mean, that person has some hype on it. If you're going to trust that, I don't even know the person jumped from, but if you're going to trust those people to catch you, number one, you better make sure you're in relationship with them. All right? Number two, you need to make sure they're capable of catching you. Number three, you better be in right standing with them, right? That's the full assurance as you do this trust fall. How can we have this full assurance? Because of what Christ has done. Not because of what we do or we continue to do. It's not based on your work. Your works are a response of your gratitude of what, of what Christ has done for you. It's amazing to have this full assurance to walk in relationship with God because what he has done for us. You might say, Pastor Ryan, you don't know what I've done. You're right. I don't know what you've done in this life. I don't know what you're doing in this life. The truth is I'm 41 and I've done some pretty dumb things in life. Pretty simple things in life. But I serve a gracious God. And His blood has sprinkled clean my heart. and Washed my body pure as water. If you're a believer, He's done that for you. That's the road we walk. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Your response ought not to be habitual sin. Paul talks about that. He says, may it never be that you may sin that grace may abound. Oh, but I don't know where you are in life. But this is the best life to live in 2018. Walking with your Savior in absolute full assurance of the payment that was paid on your behalf at the cross. May we draw near to him, holding fast our confession of hope, because he is our hope. May we spend time in the scriptures, time praying, and time worshiping. Let's look at the next one. How should we live our new life in Christ? Hold dear our responsibilities to love. The first place you see let us in the scriptures is actually Genesis chapter 1, day 6. God is creating Adam. And he said, 
Let us. Wait a minute. God says, let us. This is our indication that we serve a triune God, a triune God. This God who is built on community. There's community in the Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Let us make man in our image and our likeness. You were designed in the image and the likeness of a triune God. You were made for community. Are you living in it? Are you living out of it? And it says how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Stir up means to agitate. Not agitate in a way that just kind of gets somebody mad at you. But to motivate them. Let's stir it up. Let's go do something. We're either growing or we're not. But let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. In John 13, 34, Jesus tells his disciples on the night he was betrayed. Before that, he's in the upper room. And he tells them this, a new commandment I give you. He says it three times, so we've got to listen up. A new commandment I give you, that you're to love one another. Just as I have loved you, and that's amazing, that is agape, that is self-sacrificing love. You are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. Friends, to love is to serve. There are 59 times in the Bible in the New Testament where we talk about the one another's, living out the one another's. Let me just say a couple. Carry each other's burdens. Be kind and compassionate. Forgiving, teaching, admonishing, building up, confessing your sins, praying, living in harmony. There are so many. At my dinner table, we like to exercise this one. When you come together and eat, wait for each other. My kids are not good about that. I like my food hot. My wife's finishing it up. Wait for each other. Sometimes we're just like little kids. Like, let's, let's grow up together. Let's build one another up. We were made for this. We were designed for this. Galatians 5.13, that we might serve one another in love. Why don't we do this? Let's take a look. We're busy. Kind of corny, I know. But is that you on the left? Do you live in this busy world? This is Ryan. I hear that you want me to hold fast my confession. I hear that you want me to, to, to pour into people um, with the responsibilities to love others through serving. But are you that busy? See, we were saved for a different life. Are you broken? Ryan, you don't know where I've been. You don't know where people have broken down trust. I would just invite you into this community of fellowship because we want to build you back up because we need each other. What what is these these two things create isolationism and individualism? Isolationism meaning I'm completely apart. I'm going to do it by myself. I don't need you. Although it's designed for that, Isol- um, individualism, um, same idea. I, I can't trust you. Okay, it's just me. How shall we live our new life in Christ? Hold dear our responsibilities to serve because number one, time is a gift. It is a great gift. How are you going to spend it? One day when you come to the end of your life, you're going to look back and you say, Lord, how have I spent my time? And we're going to serve one another. God has uniquely designed and gifted every person in this room. And when we bring all those gifts together to serve, it is an incredible experience. How shall we then live our new life in Christ? Lastly, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as some is in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. God has called us to serve each other as we've seen that. But he's also called us to grow in community with one another. Don't stop, neglect, don't 
neglect to meet. Don't stop meeting. In fact, for some of it, it's hard to even commit to meet. Intentionally committing to meet together. Some of you have never experienced that. But I would encourage you to trust us. Take a step into the church. Sign up for some form of a small group. The love, the acceptance, the forgiveness, the accountability, the building up that we need can take place. But we just have to respond to the gospel. And how should we live our new life in Christ? We need to hold close to those relationships that we share. This is a picture of how, as you think about your resolutions for 2018, almost a backdrop to say it's about God and your confession of hope and be able to draw near to him, not with some sort of swagger that it's anything that you've done, but we might have confidence, reverence, gratitude to spend time with our God, to hold dear the responsibilities to love and to serve people as Jesus did, and to hold close the relationships that we share. I'm going to show you a video of a ministry we're starting that you might consider. Let's take a look. I'm Brandy. Hi, my name is Andrew. My name is Lindsay. Hi, I'm Rob. I have a new life in Christ. I have a new life in Christ. And I'm recovering from alcoholism. My own marital infidelity. Anxiety. Anger. Overspending. Shame from my divorce. Addiction to pornography. Codependency. And I'm recovering from homosexuality. Past sexual abuse. And fear of abandonment. Hi, my name is Scott. My name is Teresa. I have a new life in Christ and I'm recovering from depression. Bitterness from unforgiveness. Guilt and shame from past abortion. Disordered eating. Drug addiction. Lust. Pride. Finding my significance and what I think people think of me overeating insecurity selfishness not trusting god and shame before i came to recovery my life was hopeless full of secrets controlled by bitterness and anger it was a lie my life was defined by my sin my marriage was falling apart i was tired exhausted from losing the battle against my struggle with sin my life was a disaster unmanageable full of chaos isolated self-centered and had lost my way i just didn't like the way that god had made me really just struggled with what people thought about me my life is all about controlling others so that i couldn't be rejected i sought pleasure in all the things that the world had to offer uh, and uh, all those things left me empty before I came to recovery, my life was unmanageable and out of control. It was a bottle of insecurity. Filled with frustration, anger, and bitterness towards my husband. Way too focused on me, what I want, and what I think. I wasn't ready to give up and surrender what I'd worked so hard to control. And I couldn't figure out why I wasn't finding any healing. My first night at recovery, I felt like I was unredeemable. I thought, how is this going to help me? No one could really understand how I felt. Terrified that I'd have to figure out how to live life sober. Completely defeated. I didn't want to see anybody talk to anybody, have anybody acknowledge I was here. I wanted it to end really quickly. I felt weak, numb, dirty, like I had a spotlight on me. But I was amazed by everyone's courage. I felt a glimmer of hope because I knew I was among some other broken people. And I didn't have to hide my junk any longer. I was desperate for help. I didn't care what people thought anymore. I just wanted to be well. I shared things that I thought I would never tell anybody. I felt encouragement like there was hope. Relieved. I started to believe. I started to believe a new life was possible. When I heard story after story after story of how Christ showed up and changed everything. When I actually was able to forgive my husband. When I realized I was not alone in my struggles. But when I could see that my sin could be forgiven. Well, when I heard about God's grace. I started to believe that a new life was possible. When I acted in obedience to Christ and shared what had been done to me. When I saw God changing the lives of the other women in the group. When I realized how much I'd allowed my sin to define every single decision 
and behavior in my life. When I realized that God loved me no matter what I had done. People didn't run screaming from the room. They put their arm around me and they walked with me through that part of the journey. When I heard that it wasn't about what I had done, but what Christ had done for me. When I realized that I didn't have to gain the approval of anyone, that God had already chosen me and he wasn't unaware of my struggles or my past. Because of Christ. Because of Christ. I now have joy. My life is now free from self-harm, peaceful, filled with hope. And meaningful. And I'm able to share that with people. Because of Christ, my life is now completely changed. Just because I know that God loves me regardless of what I do. My marriage is thriving. My life is no longer determined by circumstances. I'm free from the pain of the past. Free of the bondage of my addiction. I find my joy and my worth in Jesus Christ. There are times when I still struggle, but I have a group of men behind me that spur me on and encourage me. If I could tell you one thing. One thing. One thing. If I could tell you one thing tonight, it would be this. You are not alone. God loves you, and he has plans for you. You haven't done anything that God cannot forgive. And that if he could save a wretch like me, he can save you too. Don't let fear hold you back from experiencing the freedom that Christ has for you. This is a safe place to work through the pain of your past. You're in the right place. And I'm so excited for you. Don't give up. Be here every time you can. It is worth your time. And be fully committed. His grace is sufficient. So bring him all of your struggles. There's recovery in Christ when life is broken because you matter to God. God loves you. That's so powerful. I hope when you watch that, you didn't say that'd be great for someone else. We are all in that video. It may not be a season for you to step into Regen, but I'll tell you this, at Watermark, Community Church up in Dallas where this ministry began. It's a front door to their church. 80% of their staff has been through it. So if you feel like coming to our interest meeting on Tuesday night, you're going to feel awkward or weird or alone or singled out. You won't. But there is a new life in Christ that God's called us to. John 10.10, Jesus says that I came that they might have life and have it abundant. There is hope. And I'll tell you here at Fellowship, all of our ministries are based on discipleship. Discipleship is merely this, the intentional and relational process. We're all in process of maturing Christ-centered believers and mobilizing them for ministry. From our kids' ministry to our student ministry to our men's and women's Bible studies that also break into small groups to our life groups to numerous other groups, including Regen. It's a discipleship ministry. So as we head out into this new year, As we think about this being a paradigm that we might set resolutions, recommit them, let me leave you with this one last line. Take a look. The gospel is the call to experience oneness with Christ and his people daily. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is solely based on your son that we can come to you in prayer But with great thanksgiving, God, thank you. Thank you for giving up your son so that we might have life and have it abundant. God, I pray that if there is someone in here this morning that has never placed their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, would they turn from themselves and turn to you and ask you and confess that they're a sinner in need of a savior. And God, that they would realize that they can have full assurance that they will be with you forever, not based on what they've done, but what your son has done for them and us. And God, as we head out these doors, as we head into this week, as we head into this new year, I pray that our hearts would be so motivated, full of joy, 
knowing that our chains are gone and we've been set free, that we might daily walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.